sing that we're resting in the shadows of his love, the shadow of the cross. What a gift it is to be able to gather together each week and just rest. The shadow of the cross is long and we can rest in that. And I hope if you're in this place, it's a new year and I know that the busyness of the new year and the anticipation of it, the excitement of it, all of that that brings, it can also bring um, just a degree of sort of frustration and feeling like, man, I've got a lot going on. Um, I hope this morning you can rest, that we can rest together. Um, just the goodness of God and who Christ is and what he has done. Rest in that, at peace. Our, our life is not a life in Christ of accomplishment. It's, in, it's a life in saying it's already been accomplished for us. And the world tells us that we have to strive and do. And Jesus says it's already done. What a restful thing to remember and be hopeful in. And I hope that encourages us all. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to help us. In that. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence with us, your presence in us. What an amazing truth and reality to know as your people, God, that we're gathered together and that we can live in your presence we can rest in that. So I pray for my friends in this room that the sort of the mode of our hearts today would be hearts of rest. Resting in what you have done for us, Jesus. And for those that don't know you or far from you have come here perhaps even expecting to be told to do things and with a list of rules and regulations, Lord, I pray that they would hear and know that we come together not as people who are striving, but who are, uh, as people who rest in the finished work of what you have done, Jesus. What a joyous thing to know. I pray that every soul in this room would know that rest, the hope that it brings. Do that in our midst, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You can be seated. And good morning and Happy New Year. So good to see you all. My name is Ryan. This is, I'm saying Happy New Year because I wasn't here last week. This is my first Sunday of the new year here with our church family. And what a gift it is to be able to be together and to see you all, um, to worship with you. And so thankful that you're here uh, with us this morning. Um, I do need to let you know that there's two things, and I've got a couple just announcements. I don't typically do this if you're a guest with us, um, but just as we're a few housekeeping things. The first is that I was wrong and I was right about something that I said last year. Um, I'll just start with a confession. I was wrong when I told you for a number of weeks that we would be in Joshua chapter 9 this week. Um, I, I got that wrong I just, this, uh, as I was preparing for this Sunday morning. Um, uh, the Lord just put Luke chapter 5 on my heart a couple weeks ago, and so that's what we're going to look at as Bob read for us. So I was wrong about that. The good news is that I balanced that out with a proper and right prediction of the Cowboys going 12 and 5 this season. And so that prediction was in May, and so just, just wanted to try to keep things in balance there. Um, and, uh, you know, you get some things wrong and some things right. Um, as a, a 
just a moment of housekeeping. I want to call your attention to the two handouts that hopefully you received. I again, I don't do this every week, but I, I wanted to let you know that it's important. I, the habit is to take this thing, probably throw it in your Bible or perhaps leave it on the chair, maybe even throw it away. Um, sometimes you throw it on the floor, may, make a p- paper airplane out of it, whatever your temptation might be. But I want to encourage you when you get these cards Please pay attention to these and look at what's there, the information. We're trying to update you on the life of our church and things that are going on in our church each week. And you may have noticed, if you've been with us for a little bit, a few months ago when we started handing these things out, we stopped closing our service with a list of announcements. And that was intentional. And the reason for that is that we want to, um, as... The Holy Spirit moves, we hope, through the preaching of the word um, to close our services out, allowing the spirit to just sort of rest on our hearts and not having an emergency break pull where we're like, okay, now let me tell you these announcements. Um, And so that's why we stopped kind of closing our services in those ways. But you need to know what's going on. So that's why we give you these cards. And um, this week in particular, I'll just call your attention to the fact that we have City Church 101 immediately after this gathering in our kids' church room. And City Church 101 is basically the first step if you desire to move forward in membership or perhaps you're a guest and you're saying, I just want to know a little bit more about this church. I want to know the history of the church. I want to know a little bit, of, meet some of the elders and pastors and, and know what's going on in this church. Come to the, after this service. We'll have lunch provided for you. I do want to give you this note um, from Miss Jessica, our kids minister. If you registered for 101 today, Already, if you registered, your children will just automatically sort of get rechecked into staying because we're offering childcare. If you decide right now, I want to attend 101, great, we have childcare and we have food for you. We do need you to let the kids team know. So you'll go back to the check in desk where you checked in and let them know that you're going to stick around for 101. That way, your child continues to be cared for. And so we want to make sure of that. Um, the other thing is, this, we'll gather for our first evening worship and prayer this evening at five o'clock. And I just want to, I'll just tell you, I want to plead with you as one of your pastors to make prayer a priority in this year and to make our gathering together. We only do this once a month and we gather to pray for one another, to pray for the kingdom, to grow in our midst Uh, in our own hearts and also in our uh, community and around the world. Uh, We worship. It's not much of a teaching uh, time if you've never been there uh, to one of those services. But I just want to encourage you to to be a part of our prayer services. So be here this evening at 5. Again, we do offer child care for the littlest ones. And uh, we would want nothing more than you to be there for that. And then last thing. Next weekend is Disciple Now Weekend. Is everybody excited about Disciple Now Weekend? If you don't know what Disciple Now Weekend is, then you need to come to 101 because I'll tell you. Um, It's an amazing weekend for our student ministry. uh, But what that means is that we will gather for one service at 1045 at Melissa High School. We won't fit in this room because we're going to all be together next weekend. And so 1045, one service at Melissa High School, the Performing Arts Uh, Center or Center for the Arts or I don't know what they called it. But anyway, um, we'll be there. And uh, so do that. I forgot to tell our friends at nine o'clock that that's what was happening. So your responsibility after service is to call all your nine o'clock friends and remind them, hey, we're going to gather at 1045 at the high school. Let them know. All right. With that, I'm done. Luke chapter five. And again, that's the last announcement you're going to get for 2022. From now on, you're just going to have to pay attention to the cards. All right. Luke chapter five. This is a curious conversation between Jesus and the disciples, it says, not his disciples, but the disciples of John the Baptist 
and the disciples of the Pharisees. And um, they are confronting Jesus about his behavior because it doesn't make sense to them in how they have sort of grown up to understand how to relate to God, their relationship with God, what God does, and how all of these things are supposed to work. And so um, before we get to the text that uh, Bob read for us, beginning in verse 33, I want to help us with some context to what's happening by backing up to verse 29. If you look at Luke chapter 5, verse 29, it says that Levi made him a great feast. This is, by the way, after Jesus went up to Levi, approached him and said, come with me. Levi being a tax collector, which a tax collector... The same as today, they're not people that we like, all right? I apologize to any tax collectors out there in the room. I should have prefaced that. We, we appreciate what you do for whatever, but they were not liked, all right? Tax collectors were thought of as the worst because they were collecting taxes for Rome who was oppressing the Jewish people. So this is what's happening here. But he invites Levi to come with him and follow him. And so then Levi says, well, come to my house. And he, Levi made him a great feast. And there was a large company, not just one, but a company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. One of Jesus' most famous quotes. Jesus answered them, I have, excuse me, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So with this in mind, during this gathering of a bunch of sinful people that all of society would have said, Jesus, a religious man, a holy man, should never be hanging out with those people. Those people are the scourge of society. And so they ask him why he's doing this. And so kind of seizing upon that moment after the Pharisees have asked this question and Jesus has given them the answer, the disciples of John the Baptist also have a question. And they think, I'm sure at this moment, well, he kind of has already been confronted once at this dinner. What's another confrontation? We'll kind of confront him as well. And so they come to him, it says in verse 33, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. So not only do you gather with these sinful people, but you eat and drink and you have this celebration. This feast is happening. This is a, not just a small little dinner gathering. This is a feast. This is a party. Okay, that's what's happening in this context. And so the Pharisees have asked him, now John the Baptist, who had these followers, they ask him. And the reason that John the Baptist, is, his followers ask him this is because they've been following John around. John was an ascetic. It means that he sort of denied himself of all of the comforts of life. He said he didn't either, you know, he was the man that ate locusts and honey and, and it was a wild man, had camel hair for his clothes. He denied all of the niceties of, of life. And so he had these disciples, although he had come to point to Jesus, there was a group of people that had not let go of John and sort of revering him and following him as a teacher. And so they followed him and they think to themselves, we need to be you know, downtrodden, mournful, you know, sort of letting go of anything that this world, any of the good things that this world and God has given us in creation. We need to deny those things because we're waiting for the Messiah. And so that's how they lived. And so they asked this question. Of course, the Pharisees, again, they think to themselves that they're supposed to be fasting. In fact, at this time and more than likely and when they're asking this question, the Pharisees would have instituted at least two fasts per week. Twice a week where they would fast, they would abstain from eating food. And they would do this in, in a sense, the fasting, really what it's for is mourning. 
All right, we still fast. This isn't a message about fasting, by the way. This is interesting. They ask a question about fasting, but that's not really what Jesus gets to when we see how he answers this. We fast today even, and they, they fasted in this time. It really is a response of grief in response to sin and mourning the condition. And so if we were ever to enter into a fast, it's because we see there's a sinfulness in my heart. There's some things that I need to remember and realize that man does not live on bread alone. I need to trust the Lord in this situation. Or as we're seeking wisdom from the Lord, we might fast. Well, this is what they would do. And they called for a fast twice a week. But they didn't just call for the fast twice a week. They would then also sort of discolor their faces to make themselves look very, very mournful and grieved. They'd wear tattered robes so that all of society would say, oh, they're fasting. This is, by the way, when Jesus talks about fasting later, he says, do it in secret. Don't go around. Make yourself look good. Don't go around trying to be like the Pharisees telling all of the world of your righteousness because of your fast. So this is the two groups of people that ask him this question. They want to understand why don't your disciples, why don't you tell your followers to follow this rule about fasting twice a week? And Jesus has a very interesting question, answer. He answers it in a sense in three ways. The first thing he says to them in verse 34 is he describes this feast or kind of connecting the dots to the feast that he's enjoying with Levi. And he says, can you make wedding guests Fast while the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast in those days. See, in Jesus' day, the tradition for the bride and groom of a wedding is unlike our tradition. We celebrate the wedding, we throw rice at the bride and groom, or bubbles, or whatever we do, sparklers nowadays, it's all different, and then they depart and they go on a honeymoon. All right, and they leave. But in this day, the bride and groom would stick around for a, almost a week and they would have a giant party and the friends and family of the bride and groom would just hang out and spend all of this time together and they would celebrate this new marriage. And so Jesus, being at a feast and sort of connecting the dots, he describes himself here as the bridegroom. He says, the wedding guests, they don't mourn, they don't grieve, they don't fast while the party is happening. And he's describing himself as the bridegroom, ultimately telling them he is the Messiah. I am here with you. The church, what he would establish, would be the bride of Christ. And he's with them in their presence. And as he is with them, they're not to mourn, but no, they are to celebrate. They're to be filled with joy. We don't mourn while we're in the presence of Christ. Jesus is so often, unfortunately, if we have images, which, by the way, it's not really a good idea, biblically, to have images of Christ, but we all probably have seen the various paintings and pictures growing up of Jesus, and he's very, most of the time, really just a straight face. You know, almost looks kind of like Mona Lisa. You don't know, is he smiling? Is she not? What's going on there? Did she have bad teeth? They don't know. There's lots of stories about that. But Jesus, that's how he looks, kind of just very just stoic looking. Jesus was a man filled with joy. Hebrews chapter 12 describes him as he, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the shame of the cross. He was not just a stoic person. He didn't walk around downtrodden and sad all the time. He was filled with joy. And ultimately, as his followers... We can understand, even by the context of what is happening here, that that joy was contagious. Can you imagine this? Levi, 
a tax collector, and all his friends being invited to have a feast with a Jewish rabbi. What kind of man would kind of cause that? To ha- he would have to have had a winsomeness, a joyous grace and mercy about who he is just would have been overflowing for them to say, hey, we feel comfortable with this guy. We'll hang out with him. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to love us. He wants to spend time with us. He wasn't like the Pharisees that gave the Heisman to anybody that was not doing what they considered to be right. No, he welcomed them in. And so we can see, even in the fact that he was having this feast, it tells us of Jesus' nature and character as he engaged with people. And so Jesus, filled with joy, welcomes the sinners and the outcasts to the table with him. And isn't this amazing? Jesus, his presence with people, is a presence of joy. And what did we just finish celebrating? The incarnation of God. Jesus coming to dwell with us. See, what Jesus is going to get to as he describes and gives another answer about with the clothing, the garment, and the wineskins. We'll look at that in just a moment. But he's describing that there was an old way and there's a new way. And in the old way, the Pharisees wanted to practice all of the law and the fast and do all that they were wanting to do. But Jesus had come to dwell with them. And in the old way, by the way, guess what? In order to experience the presence of God under the old covenant, in the Old Testament, the people would once a year, the the priest would be able to, on behalf of the people, go to the temple of God and experience his presence. He would make a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of all of the people. He would do all of that. And that's the way that God's presence was experienced. But now, what do we celebrate? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has come to dwell with us. And so we no longer have to go to the temple. The temple has come to us. The incarnate one, he's come to us to dwell with us. And even more than that, friends, if you're a believer in Christ, it's not just that God has come to us. And so some people as outsiders, those who maybe this is you, by the way, and you're like, I'm not real sure about this, Jesus. I'm not real sure why y'all worship him the way you do. Just know that what happened is God came to be like us so that he could call us to be like him. But even more than that, for those of us who've put our faith in this Jesus, have trusted in the finished work of the cross, this is what Ephesians 2 says about us. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is why we worship him. He's drawn us in. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of Almighty God. No longer walking around as aliens, as hopeless, with, without any belonging. Some of us in life, we wonder, do we ever belong? Because of our family situation, do we ever belong? Because we don't seem, we can't find friends, do we ever belong? We feel uh, sort of outside, whatever the case might be, do we ever really belong? And Jesus, what he has done is he has brought us together as a family. That's why this family is so beautiful. That's why this family is so powerful. Because look around the room. We aren't alike. Do you know that? Do you see all of the differences in personalities, in upbringings, in backgrounds? All of those things God has brought together. And here, more than that, he's built us into the household of God, built on, in verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, here's what he does, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, old way, we have to go to God 
And we can only go to God if we follow all of the proper religious structures and rules and regulations. New covenant, what Jesus has done and what he's telling the Pharisees and these disciples, knowing that he's going to the cross. Notice he said, I'm going to go away from you. The bridegroom will leave at some point. What he has done is he has built us into his dwelling place. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. And so now we have God with us. What an amazing thing. He's with us always. There's a confusing verse out there about where two or more are gathered. He's with us. That doesn't mean that he's only with you if you got three people, by the way. That's, a, we'll, we'll get, that's another sermon for another day. Because God is with you if you have put your faith in Christ always. Even when you feel completely alone and perhaps physically you are alone. The Spirit of God dwells in you. He's with you. And so... For the people of God, no, we are not going to fast. We are not going to mourn. We're not going to grieve. We will do that for our sins individually. But as a people, we are a joyous people. We are a people who celebrate and live to the fullness of life. Enjoy all that God has to offer us, knowing that it's all for our good and for his glory. But here's the reality. All of that is what Jesus said. He is why he didn't call his disciples to fast. But he knows, he knew then, and he knows us now, that we don't do that very well, do we? Often, what we do in life is we hear that perhaps right now on Sunday morning. And if you're like me, as we're going to sing to close our service out in a few moments, we are prone to wander away, prone to forget what is true, prone to forget those realities and so Jesus uses these two parables, <clears throat> two describers, descriptions to explain what he is doing. The first is the parable of the new garment. And he says it in this way. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, the new, if he does it will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. The first thing he does is he says with clothing. This is how you do things. Now, I know that the holes in the jeans are kind of in vogue right now. Um, if Caleb were in here, he likes to wear shirts that have holes in them. But here's what we don't do. <clears throat> yeah, it, on purpose. It's weird. I don't know. He's young. But we don't go to the store. Now, we buy jeans with holes in them. So this is a little bit weird for us. You just got to just kind of follow along here. But we don't go to the store and buy a new pair of pants, new shirt, and rip the new shirt up to go patch the holes in the old. That's not what we do. That's not how we do things. That would be silly because we know, one, if we took the new and put it on the old, that it wouldn't match, as he describes, and it would also, it would mess things up. It wouldn't, once you put it in the dryer, anybody ever put something new, made a patch? Back in the day, we used to patch my Huskies, all right? And so then we would put them in the dryer, and that new patch, if it hadn't been washed or properly handled, it would shrink up, and the whole thing would get messed up, all right? So... That's just a little bit of story about my life. But that's what he's saying here. He's saying you can't do that. You can't take this new thing that I am doing, Pharisees, and apply it in the same way that you used to do things under the old covenant. I have come to do a new thing. Jesus says in Revelation, behold, I am making all things new. Guess what, friends? He's not just waiting until his imminent return to do that. He's already started that. He started it when he came. He started it in our lives now. And so we have this newness of life when we celebrate baptism. What do we say? Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in what? New life. He is creating and doing a new thing in our midst. 
We can't take and try to do things the old way. Then he gives another descriptor, one that they would understand very clearly, um, speaking of wine. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. It will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So what would happen is, as they were making their wine, they would also take an animal skin. And I know this is going to weird some of y'all out, but they would take their animal skin, they'd form it into a bag, and they'd put the wine into that animal skin. And that's how, and then it would take care, you know, begin to do its process and everything that would happen. Well, that wine skin would over time get old. And of course, as it got old, it would dry out, it might get brittle, it would crack. When they go to make the next season the new wine, they can't just put it into the old wine skin. Why? You pour the new wine in, fermentation process happens, as Jesus describes, the wine skin would burst open. It would ruin both the wine and the skin. You can't try and take what I am doing as a new thing. And apply all of the old rules. And to do it the old way. And here, Jesus, at the end of that parable, he gets to the heart of our problem, the challenge that we so often have. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Now this is somewhat confusing to us, because we think, well, old wine is the better wine, right? Well, in the human nature sense of things, what he's saying is, once you've done it the old way and you sort of get comfortable and you think this is how things are supposed to be, no one's going to try the new way. And isn't that our nature? We get sort of in our routines. Even those of us as Christ followers, we have this is our routine. This is our system. This is our sort of religious way of doing things. And we miss the new things that Christ is doing. We settle so often for the old. And we miss what Christ is doing in our midst. Jesus is telling them what he's describing for this, in, in this question. Is he's come to do something brand new. And there would be a time for the Pharisees and John's disciples to fast and that time had passed. Now, it was something new was happening. And we can't just try and attach Jesus into our old way. And that's really what we so often do. We try to just sort of figure God out in our own way. We sort of get in our routine and we settle for what it is, however we're going to do things. You know, one famous theologian said, life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> I say, life is like, for many of us, unfortunately, a plate of spaghetti. We have our life, we have it all sort of, it's, it's, you look at it, it's a mess, but it sits on the plate well. It's not spilling over too far. Everything's just right. We're comfortable. We like what we're doing. We kind of have our rhythms. Even those of us, in, if we, we go to church here, then we, maybe we, do, we go to eat here, we sit here. We, we just sort of get very routine. We have all of our desires, all the things that we want in the world. We have all of our comforts. And then we say, but, you know, it's right that Jesus have some part of my life. And so Jesus becomes our Parmesan cheese, and we just sort of sprinkle Jesus in on our plate of spaghetti. Just a little bit. And some of us, we put a whole lot of Parmesan cheese on there, thinking, I need to cover this whole plate with Parmesan. I want Jesus over everything. But he's still just an additive. Others, just a little here, you know, 
every couple weeks, every couple months, just a little bit. In this area of my life, in, 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 at home, okay, at work, nah, you can't mix Jesus in over here. We just sprinkle him in wherever, again, to our own desires and whatever comfort level we have. What Jesus is teaching us and what Jesus is saying, taste and see that I am good. He is the feast. He should not be. He isn't something to just be added into our lives. As the Pharisees, they had all of their religious structures and systems, and the Messiah comes, and they miss the Messiah because all they want to do is maintain what they have always done. And they miss him. And so often we miss what Christ is doing in our life because we just say, I'm just going to sprinkle him on a little bit. I'm just going to add a little bit here and there. Just sort of dabble in following Christ. And I want to say, I want to encourage us. See that Christ is all. He's worthy of all. He is so good. He's worthy of our lives completely. And we miss that. We forget that. I miss that sometimes. We need to remember that he is the feast. He is the bridegroom. That as he said here, would go away, went to a cross to purchase our lives for himself. To purchase our lives and to call us together into the church through his own blood. This is what Jesus did. But like the Pharisees, you know, too often we get caught up in what we are doing. You know, I heard a couple weeks ago, I reheard one of my favorite pastors, one of my favorite preachers, give this illustration. Some of you have heard of Alistair Begg. I love Alistair Begg. He's one of my favorite preachers in some ways because I love his accent. Just that if I could be Irish, that's probably what I would do. You know, one, I'd have Bono and I'd have Alistair. We'd be, you know, so those two things would be fantastic. But Alistair gave this illustration that I'm going to borrow this morning because it fits so well with what Jesus is teaching us here in this text. What we so often miss in what Jesus is doing and has done for us. As Alistair describes it, we often know this sometimes happens or maybe has happened to you where you're having a conversation. The evangelist is having the conversation with an individual and says, what would you, you know, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? And then you meet the angel and the angel asks, okay, uh, what, what basis are you allowed to, to enter in? Why should we let you in? And the angel says to the person, asks them that question. Well, the temptation is, is that we answer that question so often in the first person, because I, maybe because I put my faith in Christ, because I said yes to Jesus, but that's the wrong answer, friends. That's not why Jesus accepts us. That's not why he welcomes us into his family. When we say it, because I, we always get it wrong. And Alistair describes the thief on the cross. Just imagine the thief on the cross. And he gets to the angel and the angel asks him, why should you be accepted? Why should we let you in? And he's like, I don't know. He didn't ever go to a Bible study. He couldn't explain substitutionary atonement. He couldn't explain justification by faith alone. 
He couldn't say anything about what he had done. I put my faith in him. No, that's not what the thief, the thief had no ability to say because I. The only thing that the thief could say is because he said I could come in on the cross. Because the man on the middle cross said I could be here. That's what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. He said, because he did this, we have everlasting life with Christ. Because he did this, there is this new joy that we experience and that we live in. And so often in our self-righteousness, as we wander away from that truth, we think it's because we did something. Because we held to the fast the proper way. Because we showed up to church because we attended this group or that. Jesus came to end for all time anyone answering the question in the first person. Now we say in everything we do, it's third person because He. So I worship here every Sunday morning that I'm in this city because He is worthy of it. I get together on Tuesday mornings with my brothers and open up the Word of God because He has revealed Himself to us and said that I could know Him. I open up my home in hospitality because He opened up His kingdom to me. He was gracious and merciful to me. How can I not be gracious and merciful to all, even whatever we might consider a tax collector in this day? everything we do. I gather together in a fight club because He is worthy of commitment and faithfulness and obedience. All because of Him. This is the Jesus that we worship. So this year, as we start a new year, remember, behold, I am making all things new. Behold, He's already begun making all things new in our lives, in the lives of people around us. And He's invited us. He's in His grace and His mercy. He says that we have everlasting life. We have joy in His presence. What a gift that is. So let's not try and fit Jesus into our old routine. Not try to just sort of add Jesus in a little bit more. Let's not resolve, hey, I just want to do this or that. In fact, I don't want you to say I at all. Let's resolve to say because he, because he, because he, because he, because he did all of this. I will live my life now in obedience and in submission to him as Lord because he is worthy. Let's stand. Let's sing that old hymn, and remind ourselves of the goodness of God. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.